0: Welcome once again to the John Sandoe podcast. My name is Arabella von Friesen and I'm delighted to be speaking today to Karina Ohrbach. Dr. Ohrbach is a senior research fellow at the Institute of Historical Research at the University of London, Um, so an academic, whose previous books have included Go-Betweens for Hitler, Bismarck's Favourite Englishman about Lord Odo Russell's mission to Berlin and she's also edited um, several other books European Aristocracies and the Radical Right Royal Kinship Anglo-German Family Networks 1815 to 1918 and Secret Intelligence in the European State System 1918 to 1989 so that gives one a sort of fair uh, idea of your Subjects, your area of specialisation. Karina, your latest book is called Alice's Book, How the Nazis Stole My Grandmother's Cookbook, translated from the German by Jamie Bullock and published by Katharina Bielenberg of the ever-wonderful McElhose Press at £20 in May this year. So welcome, Karina. It's very nice to be um, able to chat to you again, having met you a couple of times um, at the launch of your book and later when you came to John Sanders with your cousin Katrina.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. I mean, coming to John Sanders was brilliant, of course. It's my favorite bookshop now. I'm so glad that you made that possible.
0: Well, it was an absolute joy. Um, and so now we have the opportunity to just do a little thing about to talk a bit about your book Um, And it's the most extraordinary thing, really. It's the story of one single book and one family, a Jewish one, the Erbach family, your family, uh, living in Vienna in the first half of the 20th century, and in particular of Alice, your grandmother, and her two sons, Otto and Karl. It's elegantly constructive. The narrative thread is finely woven from pinpoint historical research, and family papers. And one of the many remarkable aspects of your book is its range, as its chief characters move from the Leopoldstadt ghetto to Shanghai in the Second Sino-Japanese War, from the gemütlichkeit of a villa in the Viennese suburb of Döbling to Dachau, to the Lake District, to the United States, even to a sort of brief sojourn on a transatlantic liner. Wealth, inflation, Impoverishment, new beginnings, adopted countries. It's a fascinating story told with verve imagination and with a liberating dearth of sentimentality. So Karina, would you how would you like to introduce your book? How did the idea come to you? Had you thought of approaching your family history before your cousin brought you those boxes of papers and cassettes?
1: Hmm. Well, actually, I was very scared of doing something like that because I was scared of my uh, fellow historians who might uh, criticize me for, you know, writing a family history. One should never really um, indulge in one's own family. That's not professional. One doesn't have enough distance. All these thoughts were going through my head. And then I thought, oh, well, never mind. I mean, others have done it, too. They have done it very well. Other um, good historians. So I will just dare it. And. Um, And I'm glad I did it because it was a riddle that I wanted to solve. I mean, there was this um, riddle of the two cookbooks and there was also um, the riddle about Alice that I um, just needed to solve, especially at my age. You know, when you turn 50, you suddenly realize you haven't got that much time left. Would you like to
0: say something about the two cookbooks?
1: Yes, that that was the bizarre thing. I mean, um, I knew that Alice had published a very famous cookbook in um, 1935 in Vienna, and um, and then it was taken away from her, and nobody in the family ever explained so why why was it taken away from her, who took it, what happened. I mean, there, there were all these um, bits of knowledge and these little jigsaw pieces that I wanted to put together, and um, and and I. I, I I have done that. I mean, there is one um, um, secret that I still haven't um, found out. And that is um, who actually was the man who published her book, um, who was this Nazi who Aryanized her book, took it over and um, published it until 1966. I still don't know who he was.
0: And um, so you grew up with as you very charmingly put in your preface, that you don't really know how to cook, and so perhaps that's why you didn't notice that two versions of the same book had different authors, one, your grandmother, Alice, but then subsequently, and until comparatively recently, the name of Rudolf Roche was attached to this book. And, um, well, we'll return to that. We'll return to, to, to that because it's a, it's the most extraordinary story, really. So So Alice... Your grandmother, born in Vienna in eighteen eighty six uh, to a prosperous cloth merchant called Sigmund meyer um he'd spent his early childhood in the Pressburg ghetto um he joined He studied law but joined the family business and went on with his brothers to open several offices, including in Constantinople, Smyrna, and Vienna. so he became very wealthy. They had an extremely comfortable life um, Alice uh, Got married to a doctor who sadly turned out to be addicted to gambling and alcohol. Spent her diary. Died, leaving her with two boys. So we're now already in the difficult period of post World War One, where there's hyperinflation and life is pretty difficult. So Alice's situation at that point was very difficult. Her father died too, leaving her no money, but he'd already lost most of his fortune. Um, so what happened then? What did she do then?
1: Yes, I think that's when I start to admire her because um she was this spoiled daughter um a wealthy family, et etc never really had to do um anything useful with her life and she said that herself that in, in she wrote a little um memoir of twenty pages where she said you know I was um educated like these upper class girls were um with nothing um uh that you could ever turn into a profession and no no knowledge et etc. So um, playing the piano wasn't enough, and um, and she of course realizes that um, this is a chance in some way that in the nineteen twenties there are food shortages, that there are um, women um, who are, uh, haven't learned how to cook because during the war, of course, they were all on um, rations, and 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 this knowledge is lost, and and she starts this cooking school and um, starts to um, cater for. Um, richer people and um, that was something she becomes very entrepreneurial I mean she recognizes that um, there is um, a gap in the market and that she can earn money and bring up her her two sons um, perhaps in a in a better way than um, she expected after the the loss of the first world war
0: it's fascinating, and 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 I mean, I suppose many of the women who came to her were women who, in um, you know, two or three decades earlier, would never have had to cook for themselves. So there was a need. Yes. She she was she, she opened her cookery yep. school and began her catering company at a at a at a at a good moment. Um, so that did then very well, um, and in 1935 she published this book, So um, Kocht Man in Wien," um, cooking the Viennese way which was a a bestseller. And this sort of takes us to the fulcrum of your book, Karina, which is the Aryanization of intellectual property by the Nazis, which began in Austria as soon as the Anschluss began in 1938, when um, the Nuremberg laws began to be applied in Austria as well as in German. And it's a sort of hitherto really unexplored aspect of... um, the Nazi expropriation of Jewish property. So, Alice, her publisher, yes. Max Hein was it Ma- not Max Reinhardt? Sorry, I forgot. The Ernst,
1: yeah, Max Reinhardt is more interesting. Yes. 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 Max impressed.
0: Impressed. Yeah,
1: Ernst Reinhardt. Ernst, Ernst Reinhardt, unfortunately, not Max. Yeah, no. yes. So, so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, nobody had ever researched this because we all thought, you know, in 1933, the Nazis burned books. That was it. You know, we we thought that um, solved the problem that political opponents um, and Jewish authors were just burned. And um, from then on, um, there was censorship and um, uh, we, we just assumed um, this is how the publishing houses um, handled these affairs. But of course, um, German publishing houses in in 30 after 33 they didn't want to lose their bestsellers and um uh, you know uh, non-fiction books um, like cookbooks or science books or um uh, other non-fiction books were very very popular in in germany they they were um sell they were bestsellers, many of them and um so the publishing houses um just sort of um uh, stealing them in a very clever way and um and in a yeah in a way i'm surprised that um nobody ever um realized this method because um now i know of many other cases of um jewish nonfiction authors um, whose life's work was stolen and was given to a new author an Aryan author and and these Aryan authors built um enormous careers on on the back of these yeah. books I mean um post-war careers as well
0: there's um an absolutely fascinating passage in your book um the, about the publisher de Groter, who's an extremely well-respected publisher to this day <laughs> um but Uh, you quote an internal document of theirs from about 1933, um, where where there's a whole list of requirements. You know, when reprinting, check if the author is Aryan, according to the Nuremberg Laws. For books written by non-Aryan authors, check whether reprint can be authored by an Aryan. So it doesn't really explain how that will be done, but it's clearly set out a protocol for dealing with these things. It's absolutely astounding. So this is what happened to Alice, and she was forced to give up the copyright uh being paid a a nominal sum and um That's she tried. Right
1: sorry um yeah yeah you're absolutely right um she she gave up the copyright and that's something i only found out um after the book was my book was published in german um she gave up the copyright for three books i mean because she had already submitted two more manuscripts so um yeah she she just signed away everything because that's what you you know in 1938 when you wanted to get out of the country you just um signed every document um yeah yeah exactly
0: um and she didn't realize that the books had been republished under somebody else's name, in this case, Rudolf Roche, who I think is somebody you've never been able to track and quite possibly never existed. So it's quite possible that all that money went into the, the publisher's pocket. Um, but when she returned to Vienna in, was it, 19, I think, 1946, after the war, anyway, nineteen 49, yeah, 49, forty-nine. she saw her book in a shop with somebody else's name on it. And in fact, to some extent, the contents are as well, the international uh, qualities of of Viennese cooking, Hungarian, Eastern European, French, Jewish, all those elements sort of ironed out as much as possible. No more mention of, you know, omelette Rothschild or... (laughs) So that must have given her a considerable shock. And she began then the process of contacting her publisher and trying to enter into some dialogue yes, with him that's, about
1: that's... that. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. I mean, she had been um, through so much um, during this... Um, War period and um of course it it seems a bit banal that um one um uh, focuses on a book because i mean she had lost um all many of her friends in vienna she had lost her three sisters but the book became a sort of focus of um of her um yeah the, the she she wanted to get back at least this one piece um from her past and um and of course um the publishing house reacted very badly i mean after the war they just um behaved like so many german firms and uh, behaved to- uh, towards um Jews who came back or um wanted their flats back their houses i mean they they just said you know um you signed a this contract. That's it, and goodbye. So, um, yeah, uh, she wrote them many, many heartbreaking letters, very polite letters, actually, um, and um, it came to absolutely nothing. They just um, fobbed her off.
0: And that's a situation that carried on really until until very recently. You describe this um, the expropriation of intellectual property as part of a large scale fraud perpetrated by. German publishers um, which continued after the war. So I imagine that your book when it was first published in German must have um, really caused quite a furore amongst them because there must be many who have awkward if not disgraceful pasts in dealing with this material. Taking your grandmother's book as an example um, and, and no doubt I suppose other scholars and journalists are taking up this uh quest as well, and I wonder whether publishers are addressing the matter of restitution, and does any legal formula exist for the restitution of intellectual copyright in Germany, or was that still a sort of vague situation?
1: Yes, that's, that's very interesting because um, when when the book came out in, in Germany in 2020, um, before Jamie um, translated it into English, um, it was uh, uh, something my German publishing house was terribly worried about they were worried that we would be sued for this book that um, I would Um, be sued in particular because I'm um, attacking the head of the uh, publishing house who um, stole Alice's book and um, in Germany that's uh, still very tricky Um, you can even be sued for um, attacking dead people I mean that's something you can be um, sued for libel um, something that I think is not possible in Britain not for dead people no 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 but in germany it is and um which is um a great problem for many historians and for um because when whenever we um attack somebody or, um, or out somebody as a, a former national socialist then you can immediately um get their children or grandchildren um, getting injunctions against you and things like that so i mean it is um it's a very tricky situation and um so my german publishing house was very worried and of course um, um, I was lucky because they were void in Maine and, um, and um, Alice's um, old publishing house did react quite decently and um and did say um that they wanted to apologize and they uh, did a little reprint of her of her cookbook. So um so that was um a relief, I guess, because um yeah it saved us a lot of lawyers' fees. <laughs> Yes, I had no
0: idea that you could be sued for that kind of thing um, yes. you know, on behalf of a dead person. It would be terribly difficult to, well, I always thought the libel laws in England were famously lax, but that's a. <laughs> I know they are.
1: Issue. They are yes, but in in Germany, because of our past, I mean, the the law um about um, um not uh, defaming dead people, of course, was uh, first introduced as something positive in Germany because yes. they were thinking of um, you know Jewish victims, but um, unfortunately, all these um, grandchildren of um, uh, famous Nazis have used it um, to their advantage. So. Um, and that makes it uh, difficult for historians sometimes in Germany.
0: Yes, I'm sure. Um, the book is also, the, has more to it than simply um, the Aryanization yes. of the of book. Of, oh, um, I'm glad you're saying that.
1: I'm glad, yes, because is, this mean, is, the, is only one a, aspect. It
0: is only one aspect. And um, it's a fascinating one because it's not been dealt with before, but it is far from the only one. And your book, because of the lives of Alice, who survives, and her, both her sons, who also survive, unlike many of her family, you know, that, the, the lives, the journeys, their different trajectories, all end up in the US. Um, but, uh, I mean, Alice is, Alice is unable to get to the United States. She managed to get to England on a visa um, for a domestic servant, it was the only kind of visa available for Jew- I think for Jewish um, refugees at that point coming from 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 Austria, so she couldn't do any other kind of work once she was in the in the UK. Um, and her first job was for a Mrs. Violet Van Elst, who was uh, who built on her husband's fortune um, with a cosmetic business, and who was physically, I think, quite vast. <laughs> Um, and so that didn't work out terribly well because having a pastry, very very good pastry chef in the house was not going to really help Mrs. Van els so though that didn't work out. And Alice then went to various other places, better situations, um, and then ended up with an old Austrian Jewish friend who had, um, had her nice Viennese cinema business um, confiscated, expropriated, um But also made it to England. They set up a hostel in the Lake district for um, refugee children and teenagers. Yeah. So they are then looking after children who have come on the kinder transport. that's right
1: yeah yeah and um that must have been terribly tough um it's it's um started off well they they were first in newcastle and they had these 24 um little girls and at first of course all these girls thought um that they would be picked up by their parents that their parents would make it to england too but then war breaks out and it and becomes um obvious to the children that they uh, will probably never see their parents again and and when they move to Windermere um, and become teenagers, they um, they have all kinds of problems. I mean, Alice talked about this on the tapes because um, these were, you know, very traumatized girls. Um, some were um, very resilient and did really well at school and others um, developed, um, of course, all kinds of problems um, uh, uh, traumas they they were there was bad vetting they were stealing i mean it it was a very very um difficult period um um for alice who um of course uh realized that she was you know not running a children's home but an 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 orphanage and she was the one who had to in 45 tell the children um that their parents had been murdered i i've seen that from the files you know what what that she was always the one who had to break the bad news, and um, and I have interviewed it's a few of the children. Yeah, I I think oh, it must have been um, uh, and and she was you know because her generation born uh, I mean, she was in her 50s then and she was um, of course believing in, in suppressing feelings and and not talking about things so she didn't allow the children to to go and, and see any of these um, films about the liberation of the concentration camps and so on because she thought this is going to make everything worse I mean just listening to the radio made everything worse so um, uh, she was not a trained psychologist so she was out of her depth and she did take some of one of the children to, to Anna Freud to London because she knew Anna Freud from Vienna and and um because that child was so disturbed and uh, naturally of course completely traumatized. So um she um yeah it it was I think she she, she just sometimes didn't know how to handle all of this. It was overwhelming and extraordinarily
0: um, um you know courageous effort. I mean it's a difficult thing to do and with no training and
1: you know, it's fascinating yeah. to
0: hear that, I mean, of course the children were traumatised, but again, it's not really a a story that one one often hears. One just thinks, oh, they were saved and they arrived with their little suitcases and, and somehow they were given to nice families and it was all OK. And of course it wasn't like that. Um, the good, yeah. wonderful thing also is that both her sons survived. Otto had already made it to America. He'd had an extraordinary spell in China working for Ford and um, witnessed um, and photographed um, this um, bombing of Shanghai, terrifying. Carl um, also got to America, having been um, in Dachau in I think 1939. Your 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 uncle Carl, who, when he was let out, I mean this is one of those extraordinary things. I suppose they were they were keen for. The Germans, the Nazis, were keen for the Germans for, at that point for the Jews to leave. So, because he had the yes. possibility of going to America, and maybe money exchanged hands, somebody paid something. Maybe there's a bribe. Uh-huh. Um, but he's he's able to to, to 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 get to get out. And um, the commandant. Um, you know that terrifying thing that the commandant says: if any one of you dares say a single word about this camp while you are in Germany, we will bring you back here, and I promise you that you won't get out of here a second time. If you say anything abroad, it makes no difference to us because no one will believe you when you tell about your experiences in the camp. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. But anyway, thank God they both got there. Did um, did I did I did your, fa- your father then worked for the as an intelligence officer for the. Americans and then came posted back to to Germany in the end, which is why you were brought up there. Did he ever speak to you about any of it?
1: Ah, Yes, that's the problem, of course, because um, he he died when I was eight years old and I could never, ever interview him on this. And I think um, naturally um, I was so, so curious because um, there was this um, mystery about him and... um, and my mother um, never wanted to talk about it either. And, um, and growing up in, in Germany um, in the 1970s, 80s, of course, having an American passport was something very odd. And I I still remember in my, in my school, I mean, we had, of course, we had a neo-Nazi who was um, constantly fighting with me. I mean, we were only verbally fighting. He was never physically um, attacking me, but um, so it was, it was something um you needed to hide i mean that you um had that background it wasn't it wasn't the wisest thing to mention yeah
0: no i can imagine um
1: well i'm
0: going to say thank you at this point i think karina and um we could go on talking and talking and talking and i hope we will and we look forward to your your next works Um, and I just want to say that your book is uh, going to be in our autumn and Christmas catalogue too as one of our recent favourites because it is an absolutely fantastic book Um, and Johnny and I have actually given a copy to every member of staff at Sandoz because we think as many people as possible should read this absolutely extraordinary and fascinating and readable and brilliant book
1: oh back. thank you so much Arabella. that's oh, yeah that's a great honor and um yes I, I I think um it is a good book for for the autumn because um yes in November of course we always remember the pogroms and um and I'm I'm very grateful to you joseph thank you
0: well no it's wonderful thank you very much
1: thank you you